Hello. Hello. <laughs> it is nice to hear your voice. That was Shauna Karish, worldwide horse trainer and developer of her own positive reinforcement training program. Shauna actually began developing this program with the marine mammals at SeaWorld long before she ever even rode her first horse. So why haven't we heard of her? Amidst the slew of entertainment companies who mistreat and abuse their animals, Shauna stands out as an animal rights activist who for over 25 years has spent her days teaching others how to train with a little more love. Hi, I'm Molly McEnany and this is Ephemeral. In a fleeting time where the world is changing far quicker than ever before, one college girl spotlights her female heroes. Where did you grow up and have you always been an avid horse rider? You know, well, I think that's kind of an interesting story. I grew up on the East Coast, so we, between Delaware and Maryland area, and I, when I was a little girl, we had horses. My granddad, he had a hobby farm. So we had horses uh, on the 300-acre farm. But they were uh, very, they're kind of what we call very well-broke horses. But a little bit, this is kind of an interesting story, is I was actually abused from the time I was three till I was 16. So... It was when I was about six years old, I remember going to see these horses and it dawned on me that they're really hard to catch. And, but once we catch them, we could do whatever we like. They were very safe. But I thought, I don't, I think we're imposing ourselves on them and it may be really comfortable. So I decided I didn't really want to do that. Now I didn't know as a little girl that I was seeing myself in them. I was uh, seeing the. I was in a state of learned helplessness in regards to my abuse, and the horses actually were in a state of learned helplessness too. It's until I was in my 40s that I really kind of recognized that and could process that. But it started me on a journey that was very different. So I decided I didn't want to do anything with the horses because I didn't want to impose myself on them. If they would come to me and be with me, I would be happy to do that. But at that point, they didn't have that strong of a relationship with people or that that good of a relationship with people. So I didn't really grow up with horses because of me pushing away. And at seven years old, I made a vow to myself that I didn't want to be a part of any person or animal's life unless I helped to improve quality of life. And then I kind of quickly realized that people are complicated and they have a choice and the animals don't. So I didn't realize it was going to be something that, you know, decades later, a lot of decades later, I would still abide by. I mean, I live by that all the time. So it's kind of an interesting story, I think, or an interesting way to get to horses. Yeah. And it seems like it helped you kind of develop the stance that you have now on the humane treatment of animals. Absolutely. It became really strong for me. And that is the breakthrough that Shauna had, finding a way to encourage animals and more specifically horses to perform. So I know you actually spent quite a bit of time at SeaWorld training the killer whales there. Was this your first experience training animals and what was it like? (laughs) <laughs> it was my first experience and it was it was really pretty amazing i think the the thing that is 
the strongest part about it is one, I felt like I was to improve their quality of life. And everything we did was positive reinforcement. So, and the way horses are trained, it's actually technically called negative reinforcement, the way they're traditionally trained or with what's called natural horsemanship. So when I learned to train, everything was 100% positive reinforcement. They got all their food every day, regardless of what they did or didn't do. They got all their social interactions, regardless of what they did or didn't do. We didn't have halters or lead ropes. There was nothing. We couldn't make them do anything. You know, our challenge was it? we need to be fun, and this has to be great fun for them that they show up and want to do the training and then want to keep engaging to a high level of criteria. So it was, it's all based in science, and it was an amazing time. I learned so much, but I would say I've learned a lot more now being with the horses and, and changing to that to the, that species. You know, it was, it's very different. And, how deep the training went so it was an amazing time and I learned a ton and I feel like it's all prepared me for this point in time you know it's really helped me to see horses differently because I didn't grow up in the horse world I didn't grow up being uh I didn't have to undo habits that that a lot of horse people have I just looked at and thought well why would we use positive reinforcement my first people really didn't know anything much about positive reinforcement because that was 25 years ago it's growing now but back then it was it, it was kind of unheard of and I, I that was just stunning to me <laughs> yeah and I feel like oftentimes training is perceived as not very creative it's very you know rudimentary but I feel like for you do you often get a sense of creativity when you are training horses yes and because I and you know what I think the challenge here is that people are used to kind of making horses do things they use equipment to create behavior it, it and so I come along and say I would like them to show me they know it, to show me they want to do it, to show that they understand it, and I want to do it without the equipment first. I want to be able to get to using the equipment later, but I want it to be more of an incidental. So it's not the impetus for the behavior, which it traditionally is used a bit more as a rudimentary part of it, but I want to teach them through targets and the clicker and different ways so I have to come up with ways that have not been done. You know, it is trying to challenge and learn how to do traditional. The behavior will look traditional at the end, but the process is really through the positive reinforcement. It's not through pressure and release, which is the normal thing. So it takes a lot of creativity. And also they're all individuals. So it's like you just look at them and, and think this is our dogmatic way of doing it. You have to say, hey, this guy is an individual and he, what's going to help him to learn the best? How can I help him the most? Because like people, and, and I'm busy teaching people too, it really is. We're just all individuals and we all learn a little differently and that's differently and bring our own, you know, character traits to the, to the table when it comes to training. So it, it's definitely definitely a creative and individual process sometimes you can tell whether they like what they're doing or not and maybe sometimes if the negative reinforcement makes it something that they feel forced to do whereas the positive reinforcement is like oh I like to do this they get happy because of what they're doing so I feel like it's a really 
really different from other horse training programs that I've read about, like you said before, <laughs> super different when, you know, at all the time when you train animals, it's a lot of negative reinforcement, like don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Instead, it's like, no, we like when you do this, mm-hmm. this, this, and this. Yeah, and you really nailed it there. And now that Shauna's life is so engrossed in the horse world, it's funny to look back and see that before one fateful day at a Del Mar horse show, Shauna had never ridden a horse before. So back to the transition from SeaWorld, at what point did you say to yourself, you know, I don't want to be just another trader. I don't want to be a part of just this anymore. I know there's something greater to be done in the positive training of animals. You know, it started when... So I worked with I worked with also dolphins and whales and, and sea lions and walruses and otters and and so it, you know and, and I've done it for you know nearly ten years at that point and a woman named Elizabeth Bush Burke from Anheuser Busch from the Budweiser family they own the park and she given some of us trainers tickets to see a show jumping Grand Prix in Del Mar and so we go and I that was the turning point for me I thought this looks really fun and now I I mean you know and to me I mean this is ironic for a lot of people but to me they just seem small and fuzzy (laughs) it was and they're big horses but but relatively you know it wasn't intimidating to me but and I'm gonna be really honest that that night when I watched the Grand Prix show jumping I saw more horses that looked stressed or not happy then I saw horses that looked happy, but I look that really it looked like it was a walk in the park. They loved it. It was easy. The rider looked like it was easy, and I thought that's what I want to do. And and I knew I had a new set of skills, you know, that I could do this differently. So that really was the turning point. And then my first, so but but I kept asking like show jumpers, you know, why don't you do this? And I heard they aren't smart enough. They, they aren't you know, bright enough, it's not how it's done, they blah, blah, blah. And so finally, I, I read an article about a man named Tom Dorrance, and he's a big in certain circles of the horse world, but he's a Western person, and I'm kind of more English-oriented. And he was the one that really said, yes, definitely do this. You should go forward and do this. And that's when I decided to start really taking lessons, because I I didn't understand why I kept hearing no, 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 no. I'd worked with, I mean, I had seen with my own eyes, target trained, you know, positive reinforcement trained hyenas, meerkats, hippos, rhinos, lions, tigers, elephants, giraffes, goldfish, sharks. So I kind of thought, I don't see why it wouldn't work with horses, but people keep saying that. And so after talking to that man, I, I moved forward. And then my first real working was with, um, somebody who's an Olympic gold medalist in show jump, BZ Madden. So it was, it, and it was a big transition, but it was really that, that night and seeing it was really the thing that kind of helped me to, to, to change over. And what I hear from people all the time, they say, what, you know, do, don't you miss the marine mammals? And, and actually, I mean, they're still in good hands, you know, they're still being, having people doing positive reinforcement, I feel like the horses is where I can really impart change and, and, and raise the, the awareness and compassion and empathy in which we're working and dealing with our horses. And 
I honestly feel like I'm here to serve the horses, not the other way around. And there's a lot of people that really do look like the horses here to serve them, feel like that. And I think that I owe it to them to be sure that they're happy and having a good quality of life. So I feel good every day I get to do that. (laughs) And now you travel all around the world training horses. So how has this impacted your life? And have you gained a greater opportunity to share what humane animal treatment is around the world? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really, it's amazing, you know, as you go and you get to, to see different horses in all walks of life. You know, I've worked with the horses that are there, the kind of backyard, you know, trail riding horses. And I've worked with Olympic Grand Prix show jumpers and Olympic dressage and Olympic adventures and, and so, and drivers, you know, so people from all walks of life. But what you find really, it's, I love the people that are interested in what I do because a lot of, there are, there is a lot of cognitive dissonance. You know, if I go to certain people and you start saying, well, you know, this is the way we could do it. And you're very, very thoughtful about trying not to put them on the defensive, but some people aren't ready for it. If they accept this, be very different from what they've done and that they can, they can work up against that. But by and large, I find the people that want to do this training and are interested in it, they tend to be, and this goes around the world, they tend to be really interested in their horse's well-being, number one. They tend to be intellectual and intellectual pursuit of this science because it is, this is all based in science. I didn't make it up. And then number three is they tend to be open-minded, you know, so they, there's a really commonality between them. And I really, one day, teaching clinics, I thought, I always really have great people that come to these clinics. So what it's done is made the world feel smaller because you feel like it is the same. You know, you go places and it really is very much the same. But it's also amazing when you go places and people recognize you and you're, you know, you're in the Netherlands or something like that. And that that makes you feel good because you, I get to hear the stories of saying your clinic has changed my life. You know, and it's and and it's basically it's given them a way, new way to look at their horses, but it's changed. You know, they can't unsee what they know, and it and that's a nice thing to kind of hear the stories of people you've reached that I've never met necessarily. Some people have just watched YouTube videos, and so it it really is a humbling experience, I'd say. Horses are in the top four most commonly abused animals worldwide, right behind dogs and cats. And one in four animal abuse cases involve horses or livestock. There are even seven states in the U.S. that do not have a zero-tolerance policy for animal abuse in their laws. And it was only in 2006 that the U.S. banned the domestic horse slaughter industry. But that was after they had already generated over $65 million in revenue. But Shauna truly believes that a lot of this could be changed by sharing with people around the world how to properly and positively train their animals. So now the more entrepreneurial end of your lifestyle, how have you gotten other trainers and riders to adopt your program and take your program seriously from the beginning? I know it's taken you 10 years to perfect. How did you start implementing this practice? You know, yeah, that's a... It is a it is a good question, and it's a, a rather muddled 
answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it is, yeah. it is right off the bat, got to have a professional. And that was even, it was 25 years ago. So it, it's really been a long time. But that's when I really got to, I've worked with professionals right off the bat. I taught clinics and did demonstrations for the United States Equestrian Team Federation at their headquarters. And I, I really got to kind of make an impact because I, the highest people first. And then I wrote a book, and I've, I've gone and I've done a lot of YouTube videos and done a lot of expos and demos. So it, it is I've, – I've got more people – people keep coming out of the woodworks. I go someplace, and they, they will share that they have really watched and gotten on board. But more and more now, I think way back when, when I first started, it was a concept, and people go, uh-huh, that's interesting. There's a lot of merit to that. But they weren't ready to change. So it took a while for people to kind of – I planted seeds, you know, and it's taken really – I think now is the time that the horse world is really ready to incorporate it more and more and more and more. So I do see that there are trainers doing it. There's academics that are doing it and, and using the system and using my book, and I have – and I get to speak at colleges and universities. And so I think that – it, it now is time to really get into action. Everybody has learned enough, and it's still a battle. You know, for people that are new at this, it feels very unaccepted. But I have the advantage of remembering when it was I was an island, and now there's groups, there's Facebook groups, have thousands of people, you know, talking about positive reinforcement training. So it really has grown and taken off, and and I, you know, it's it's. I remember there was a time I was with a group I was working with and we're calling ourselves connection training. And we had, we decided we were going to have um, instructors. We had people, we had lots of applications and it boiled down and we had people from like nine different countries, you know? And so it's kind of, it was amazing to me that it's come so far from kind of one person's rogue idea to now being much bigger than me and much more understood. So it's, it is going. It still has a long way to go, but it has come so far, and it really is. There are professionals. There are trainers. There are, you know, rescues. There are schools. There's a lot of people that are really understanding now and implementing the positive reinforcement. So it is really encouraging and and kind of unbelievable on another hand, you know, it just seems, it just, it seems so bizarre that how far it's come. And what was one of the hardest things up till now that you've had to deal with or experience as a trainer in general? You know, I, I think the, the hardest thing was knowing that this was, you know, a proven science, that it's, it's efficacy and it's that you could have the animals really be happy because you, you really nailed it earlier when you said that it truly is that they become happy and they enjoy the training. So for people early on, if they wouldn't want to listen, it was really hard because I'd think, but this is science. I didn't make this up. Let me, let me explain it more. And that I think was really a challenge. I did quickly learn to let it go, you know, and just say, it doesn't matter. Some people aren't ready yet. And that it's not my problem. You know, I can't do anything about that. I can just educate the people I can educate. So I think it's the tenacity that it's taken because there has been more rejection in the beginning or more 
you know, you're always climbing up a hill. So I think to, it took a little bit to really be able to have the resiliency to kind of get through that without it affecting you or taking you taking it to heart. You know, you just had to go, they're not ready. They will be at some point, but it's, they're not ready right now. So I'll move on to who is listening. And so I think that was probably the most difficult part. What was one case that was probably your most difficult with horses? And can you take me step by step for the beginning of how you kind of start off in your training? Yeah, it is. um, Gosh, it's hard to pick one particular tough thing. There have been some challenges. We always get through them. But it, it that goes back to that creativity where you got to kind of think, okay, this this has worked for all these horses, but it, this guy isn't getting it. Yeah. So what am I going to do to help him or her get to a better place? So that's where I, you have to go back to that creative and try something new and try something new. But we'll get through it. And I've even worked with horses who actually literally want to kill humans. You know, like they are really seriously aggressive. And that's not, there's not a bad horse out there. This is all man, this is how they've learned. This is what's worked for me. So this is what I'm going to do to protect myself. And it's really born out of fear. But the, so those are challenges, but you get it, you know it, and and you get through it. So it's, that's not as difficult, I think, as the, the ones that are either untouchable, those can be a little hard, but the ones where you just get stymied because you're like, this has always worked. So that's, that's kind of, it's hard to say what exactly would be fisk, but it's uh, they always tend to work out somehow. It's just sticking to it. But getting started, it is the getting started is a little bit of a it, it's a little bit of a tedious process. So we start with the we use a clicker. It's a bridge signal. With the marine mammals, we would use their whistles or our voice. We didn't use clickers, so people have become familiar with clickers and dogs. And so that has kind of helped the acceptance a little bit. But dogs and horses are so very different that it's not always the horse too excited. You're like, whoa, that's 1,200 panels of excitement. But getting started, we want to teach that bridge signal. So we use the clicker quite often with the horses. And it doesn't have any value. It doesn't mean anything at first. So we use that classic or Pavlovian conditioning to click feed, click feed, click feed, click feed until – the clicker starts to resemble, it, it, it takes on the value of the food. So pretty soon for the clicker, and they will start drooling, just like Pavlov's dogs. Mm-hmm. So it is, we use that initial part is that classic conditioning. But with horses, one of the things that we have that we didn't really have with the marine mammals um, is a sea lion's a little bit, but not really the same, is the horses really want to go to the food source. So you need to teach them right off the bat so we teach them to actually keep their head away and they learn it so quickly it's really easy but it is a little different process so once we have the clicker because the clicker is really important it's a communication tool so if I'm training and just feeding without the clicker I don't actually know what the horse is thinking and my timing isn't going to be so precise so a good example of that is I was doing a clinic back east and and I came in the day before, and a gal said, oh, I'm so glad you're coming because I have this little horse. And she she's a filly, so she's a young little horse. She said, I'm teaching her to lift her legs. But it's almost like she's pulling her foot out of her hand and putting it back on the crown. And I said, okay, are you using some sort of bridge signal or clicker? And she said, no, I'm just feeding her. And I said, okay, well, when are you feeding her? And she said, when we're done. 
And I said, where's her foot when you're done? And you could see her go, it's on the ground. And she realized that she was feeding the horse as soon as it was back on the ground. So what does a little horse think? She thinks, well, let's let go of my foot and get it to the ground, and and then I can get fed. So, indeed, she was pulling her, her foot out of her hand. But by using the clicker, she then incorporated the bridge signal, the clicker, and she could she could tell the horse when the when the foot is up, I'm going to click and tell you that's the part that has just earned you some sort of reinforcement. So it's really important, like for under saddle stuff, when we're riding our horses, that we have a way to say that piece is what I like. It may be a moment till I can feed you, but I got to draw attention to a precise movement. So it's really an essential part of the communication, and and I can't imagine training with it because you don't really know what you'd be feeding. And then the other part that is really an essential part is the target. And the target is basically, we used it with the marine mammals. That's how they learned everything. And the target, so we have like a marine fishing net float. You know, it's like six inches long, and it's just kind of oval-shaped float that we put on the end of the stick, and that's the target. But the role of the target is to elicit or create behavior. So I need to have a behavior worth clicking. And if I just wait, I may not get the behavior, but if I use the target, I can give some guidance and say, what I would like you to do is come over here or lift your head or raise your head or move forward. So like an example of that would be, you know, if I have a horse who loading in the trailer can be a real problem with horses. A lot of horses don't like it. So if I have a horse who doesn't like loading in the trailer and I have the trailer in the arena and he's loose, he's at liberty and he can come and go. And I just want to get him in the trailer. If I just stood there, he may go near the trailer because he hates the trailer. You know, if it's one that has a, a poor history with it. So, but with the target, I can hold the target up and say, hey, can you come touch the target? I, I may not be right next to the trailer, but I can get him to walk towards the trailer. I can click on that behavior of walking towards the trailer. I just told him what I like, you walking towards the trailer. And the basic premise behind it is we reinforce. When, when we reinforce the behavior, they're either getting something they want, which is positive reinforcement, or avoiding something they don't want, which is negative reinforcement. So if I then, I reinforce him by giving him food for walking from the trailer, he starts thinking, hmm, I like that. What, did, what, what was I doing to earn that? And I can build on that walking towards the trailer to walking towards the trailer, stepping on the ramp, and stepping on the ramp is going to the all the way in. But really what's creating the behavior is I'm, I'm using the target to help bring some clarity. So I've trained, taught them to touch the target. I've built a good, strong reinforcement history. So they see the target, think I love the target. So the role of the target is really, it's a tool to help create behavior. And then we fade it from the behavior. So that may sound a little abstract right now, but those are the two, the two basic points, I think. And so what has being a trainer and animal activist done for you in your personal life? And what other opportunities have you been granted because of your work? I, um, it definitely changes my, the way I interact with people, the way I look at things, the way uh, my relationships are. And it also does the same for the people I work with. I get reports all the time, people saying I'm so much better with my my boyfriend or husband, I'm so much better with my coworkers that they're, they utilize a positive reinforcement. It's even as simple as a gal that I'd worked with said, 
you know, my friend and I were walking along and there was a, it was springtime in, in Holland and there, there were little um, flowers on this bush that were just starting to come up. And she said to her friend, look at the flowers. And her friend said, that's all I see are the thorns. Now, and that is kind of the switch. We start looking for what we want and kind of ignoring what we don't want. And I think that's a beautiful thing when we can start telling people and really drawing attention to behavior we like and reinforcing them and being empathetic when it doesn't go wrong. So I think that really has changed for a lot of people that have learned to practice it, but it's certainly true for me. And I think that the opportunities I've been, I think I've been given so many crazy, awesome opportunities. They're just things you don't even think about. You're getting to go work with people all over the world, which is really neat. And working with people that are really accepted and known. But I also, to be able to share what I know with, you know, vet schools or with universities and I get to teach, you know, I get to do, be guest speakers on behavior courses online. And I have written a book back in the day when you had to have a publisher and people are like, oh, it's really hard to get published. Well, that wasn't so hard for me, you know, and that was, so I think there's a lot of opportunities that this has brought along. And I, I, but I think the biggest opportunity is really getting to watch this grow and to get my biggest goal. I want horses to be seen empathetically and dealt with differently and to see that come to light and, and start to really turn around and see people kind of shifting their context. These aren't beasts of burden. They're actually, you know, sentient beings. I think that is, that is really powerful. And I think that's probably the, the greatest opportunity that I have had is seeing that go. And right now I am at, at a place called Terra Nova, and this is a client that I would do clinics for. It's in Santa Fe, New Mexico is where I'm based out of now, and she decided the barn where she was working, or not working, the barn where she boarded her horses, she had a couple of high-end dressage horses, it came up for sale, and so she decided to, she was going to buy it if, and, and turn it into a positive reinforcement training center. So now I get to be here and working and having amazing opportunities to really take this message to another level. So we're really focusing on trying to reach the performance people so we can, and, and showing and competition people, so we really can create happy athletes. And I think that right now, this is just really a dream come true. And it came to me, and I think that's pretty a pretty fortunate thing to really feel grateful for. What other projects are you planning for the future? Um, I am working on a book with my original publisher, so we're I'm getting an outline together for that. And so that's a pretty big up and coming thing. And then you know, I have some we have kind of been reaching out to more organizations and doing some organizational things. So that is going to be and that's with horse organizations and positive reinforcement organizations because they could be a little different. And there's a there's a person that I knew as a marine mammal trainer way back when, and he has a, a place in Seattle called The Ranch, and it is a positive reinforcement. It's Karen Pryor Academy, which is a big clicker training dog organization. So 
a group of us from Terra Nova are going to go there in October. So I think that's probably the next up and coming kind of different thing I'm going to do. But I will continue teaching from home as well as teaching uh, out on the road, teaching clinic, clinics and seminars. And then I have uh, my old horse who's retiring and a young horse who's getting along. So I kind of have lots of irons in the fire. So lots of little projects coming up, but but they'll keep growing. There's more and more always seems to come up. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add about any of your programs or ideas or animal treatments? You know, I I think just you know if you you anybody can look up on my website. It's www.on-target-training.com. If you want to learn more about my story or more what we're doing, and where I'm based out of is called TerraNovaTrainingCenter.com. So if you want to also learn more about what we're doing here, I'm part of that. So it's either or will take you to either direction. But it's been it's been really fun, and I, I do have a podcast. If you're a horse person, but it's very specific to horse training. Yeah. So it's not, uh, and that's called Equine Clicker 101. But yeah, so that's all I really kind of have to say. And I I think just reminding people that training horses or dogs or sea lions or whatever it is should really be fun for you as well as for your learner, your your animal that you're working with. And I think we need to kind of keep that in perspective. Sometimes I think we get a little too much agenda on our minds as opposed to really having a good time enjoying the process. And to Shauna Karish, it is that genuine enthusiasm for the process that makes the outcome of her training and the breadth of her work that much more exciting. I'm Molly McEnany, and thanks for listening to this episode of Ephemeral. I'll see you next time.